Hey there, entrepreneur. So just a really quick reminder that if you like this podcast, if you listen to it, please don't forget to subscribe, follow, rate, review, all that good stuff, because it helps other entrepreneurs like yourself and other fantastic people find us. So I would love it if you would just take a couple minutes just to go make that happen. And for right now, I am jumping in with the incredible Dr. Nancy Dome. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. Hey there, entrepreneur, and welcome to today's show. You're in for a treat. This is going to be a fantastic conversation. I'm here with renowned speaker and equity consultant, Dr. Nancy Dome. Now, Nancy co-founded Epic Education in 2014 to provide leaders in education and business with accessible professional development in diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and equity. She has been an educator for nearly three decades. That's a lot of experience, folks. And she's taught in places like juvenile court systems, community schools, with a focus on teaching our most vulnerable students. And now, folks, she is bringing not only her information here, but she's bringing her transformative approach to the masses with the release of her new book, Let's Talk About Race and Other Hard Things. And she's providing through that book, guys, a framework for having conversations that build bridges, strengthen relationships, and set clear boundaries. So Dr. Dome, thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I was telling you earlier, I started reading the book and I, I absolutely love it. It's, it's just got some really great information that you can put in play, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we jump into that part, can you give our listeners some background as to how you kind of got to where you are today? Yeah. You know, it, it definitely was not a direct journey. Um, I, <laughs> I uh, initially, when I was in school, when I was young, I wanted to be a psychologist that, you know, I'd love people and working with people. And uh, that was my journey. And my undergrad was psychology. And then I went to graduate school to get an MSW. And in the process of, you know, literally showing up for school, they told me that the program had been canceled. And I'm, I'm, and they're like, well, we sent you a mail. I'm like, well, where did you send it? And they said, well, we sent it to your, uh, to the university. I'm like, well, I graduated and I moved back home. So here I am in the UK having sold everything I owned. And they're like, well, since you're here, we can offer you a master's in business or a master's in curriculum and instruction. And I thought, well, I don't know, Jack Diddley really at that time about business and no interest. And so I chose curriculum instruction and it put me on this path of being an educator. I never, if you would have told me I was going to be an educator, I would have never, ever believed you. But I also believe, and I think this really speaks to entrepreneurs um, in the, in general is that when opportunity shows up, you, you take it like it, it, it may not be a part of your plan. You know, you may have this grand plan and I think you need those to start going down the path, but if you're so married to the one way of doing it, then you miss a lot of opportunities. And so, you know, you fast forward now to having had, you know, over 30 years of teaching experience and now, you know, running a company that really focuses on, you know, how do we support uh, educators and businesses to really creating space and belonging for all employees, regardless of their race or religion or, you know, whatever, to make sure that they're there. But, you know, it really was, I think the the biggest piece is being willing to go with the flow when things show up and, and recognizing that just because it wasn't, I didn't think about it doesn't mean that it's not something I shouldn't do. Yeah. I mean, I, when I read that in your book about you just like showed up in, in the UK and they were like, mm-hmm. school's canceled and you just rolled with it. I was like, holy shit. Like that is a pretty big like roll with it. Considering like you said, you had sold all your stuff mm-hmm. you're in a foreign country, but wasn't there another piece that happened after that, where you went to a different country and played sports? Yeah. Where you just like decided like, I'm just going to go do this too. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and yes, I, I met someone on the bus and I happened to be on the cover of a magazine and he's like, you want to come try out. And, um, you know, the one thing I will say was 
uh, five years straight. So, you know, doing your K-12 compulsory, then, um, then doing, you know, my undergraduate and then going right into my graduate, I was really tired. And so yeah. I was ready for a change. So when I went to Belgium um, to play volleyball, it was great because I got paid to play volleyball. But because um, I was there and there was a military base there, they actually said, well, you know, you have a master's or the beginning of a master's in education. We need a substitute and you have and it has to be American. You don't find that many American teachers yeah. roaming around Belgium. So um, I ended up doing that. And that, again, was the first place of like, oh, I, I like kids. Oh, I like this, you know, yeah. um, and then just going with the flow. Yeah. I, lo I love, I love hearing. I mean, it was very impressive when I was reading mm -hmm. it. I was like, damn friend, <laughs> who knew what was going to happen? And you just jumped in both feet, yeah. which is very entrepreneurial of you. Yeah. So then, you know, the, the volleyball thing ends and then what happens after that? Um, I go back, I finished my master's and I uh, come back to the U S in 91 and I get a job working as a childcare worker. So again, kind of shifting back to that original thought and thinking, yeah. Um, and then realizing very quickly within the first couple of months that um, I didn't have the heart for it. And when I say that, it's, you know, our child care system are, um, is understaffed, it's under supported. It's, it's, I almost feel like sometimes, and I know that they're trying to do the best they can, but we become the people doing harm in the process of doing yes. it. Okay. And I realized that I couldn't. I couldn't be a social worker in a system where my the caseloads were so big that you actually couldn't give the families and the kids the attention they needed. So, um, and that's where I discovered juvenile court and community schools because I, I I knew that I found my population. I just hadn't found exactly how, and so I shifted over to the teaching side. Went back to school, and it turned out that my master's actually covered probably three quarters of the teaching credentialing courses that I needed. So it was a very quick um, down and dirty for me to get my credential. And then just, it took longer to get a, my first job because I had to work under contract again, you know, coming from a poor family, there was no money. And so um, teaching, uh, you know, all around, there's so many things that need to be reformed about it, but yes. this notion that student teaching, you pay to student teach. So you work for three months, and you work for free and you're paying the university to do that. And, you know, how do you know, unless you have um, familiar support, you know, family support, yeah, or you, you just that? are in debt, you know, you yeah. just by the yeah. time you're done and we're not paying a lot as teachers to kind of reconcile the amount right. of debt that you end in, yeah. end up in. So, um, so I really needed to wait till I was under contract because there was no money. There was no, no way that I could get um, any support. So it took a little bit longer, but I ended up getting a contract to do my student teaching. And then it, it translated into a full-time position when I was done. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that just seems rigged. There's, there's so many things that are, that are broken. <laughs> it just like, there's so many things like that. I'm sure you feel the same that I hear. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this doesn't, this like common sense isn't common kind of thing. Right? Yeah. Like, Come yeah. on, folks! Yeah. Like you just pay to do it. Like what the? Yeah, I'm some yeah, yeah. around that. Yeah. Um. So then, take us to the next chapter. Um. Next chapter was uh, uh, you know, teaching for ten years in the juvenile court and community schools, and then becoming a university professor. You know, again, always uh, taking advantage of the opportunities presented in front of me. So um, there was a program called Distinguished Teachers and Residents where you could go teach at Cal State San Marcos. Uh, you maintain your, your tenure and your job, but they basically borrow you for two years on the exchange of providing services back to the district. So I kind of knew when I got accepted at that and that, and I, it was a nice way to test the waters to see if higher ed was something I might be interested in doing. Yeah. That I, um, I did that for two years while I still had my teaching uh, gig and um, I decided to go back to school. And so I went back to my alma mater that happened to be bringing back uh, volleyball and I was division one, but they brought it back as an AIA school. Yeah. And uh, they paid me to uh, coach, which wasn't enough money, yeah. but I'm like, I don't need money. I want an education. So I ended up yeah. getting my doctorate that way. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, all that time doing the work that you were doing, how you avoided burnout with all that. I hear it so much. That's, you fine. know, I, I think for me, I think that what, what 
kept me engaged was the fact that with even within that 10 years that I was in court schools, mm-hmm. I was a mentor teacher, a teacher on special assignment. I I like change. I like nice um, to to be innovative. I like to create things. And so I don't know that I could have kept it going if I just stayed in the classroom yeah. the whole time. Yeah. But I had the opportunity to really be creative and to, you know, uh, train other teachers and cool. to do things like that. And I think that's what, you know, kept, and it's still to this day. I mean, if you know, if there's anything to know about me, it's that I I'm an innovator and I don't, I like to create things. And then I kind of like to let them do their thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of what it was with, with even with Epic right now. And then now me moving into my own brand um, mm-hmm. and moving away from Epic because I'm ready to do like Epic education is a solid, business it's right. it's thriving it's got amazing employees who are you know just nailing it and I feel like you know I've done my what I needed to do to kind of get that started and now it's time to what's the next thing for me to do right. to keep me engaged and and on the top of my game in this work yeah smart smart so how did epic come about um <laughs> discontent <laughs> yeah I was, I was thinking the answer would be something around that, but I just wanted to test the waters. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 100%. You know, um, I mean, so the thing with me also is that I, I realized very early on that I can't do things that I don't love and, um, I love teaching. And so when I left teaching, it wasn't because I didn't want to teach anymore. It's because I wanted to have a greater impact. And then I went into the private sector and I loved that, but there was some um, friction between me and my, my employer. And literally we were having a meeting where we were talking about kind of the next steps for the company. He did this thing where uh, he was making everyone reapply for their job. And um, interesting. (laughs) Yep. Yes. And, um, and so, uh, you know, and, and I had, you know, we had, I had been thinking about doing something on my own, but I, I liked being an employee. I'm going to be real honest. I mean, I liked having a regular paycheck and if I love what I do, then I was content. I never, I never, ever thought I would be a business owner. So I I need to put that. I always thought I would work for someone because of the occupation that I had chosen. Yeah, of course. Of course. And so, you know, this, this moment of, of, you know, discontent of knowing I can't be here anymore. And the opportunity when he said, we're reapplying for our jobs. And he's like, do you want to put anything else on the agenda? And I said, yeah. And he's like, what's that? And I was like, well, I won't be reapplying. And it wasn't until that moment that I knew that was my answer. Like I didn't plan it. Right. And so I'm not right. saying that was the, 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 the brightest thing. Cause I did have a mortgage and I did. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> it just to, came out. It came out it came at the out. right time. And it did. And you know, it's right. If you pay attention to your body, because the minute I said that it was like the heavens opened up and angels sang and the weight (laughs) came off my shoulder. And I was like in this place of utter contentment where I knew in that moment I had made the right decision and I didn't have a single plan in place, but I'm also, I'm a hustler. And, you know, my always say that I've been poor before, you know, my family, we grew up on food stamps. I know what it's like to struggle. And if I can be poor again, because I know that yeah. I won't stay there long. So right. if this is the thing that, that breaks this one, then it's broken and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll jump back in. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you just said is a great parallel with resilience in general. Yeah, like absolutely. once you go through the adversity, like you've been through the fire, you're like, eh, like a lot of people would say like, well, what about when the pandemic hit and our family over here has been through so much shit that I was like, we were just kind of like, eh, another fucking thing. Yeah. We were privileged enough to say that, but you know, at the same time, like you're right. If you've been in those circumstances, it gives you a little bit of a higher risk tolerance, I would think. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and I think that it impacted, I remember doing a presentation um, not too far before I, I ended up leaving that uh, previous job. And um, someone asked me why I didn't have kids. <clears throat> and <laughs> It was, it was interesting because I hadn't, you know, it's just something that I kind of really didn't think about. I always thought I would be a mom yeah. and, and it didn't happen. Right. I, and I, I really wanted to be a married mom. I didn't want to be a single mom and I'm not, this is not a slam to single moms, but I'm a product of a single mom. And so my thing was, if I didn't have to start off that way, I didn't want to start off that way. Right. Like I might end up that way, but I didn't want to start off. Right. But also there, what I realized in the question, because I was really leaning into my feelers about it was that I was afraid to have a black child. And that's what it ultimately came down to. Yeah. 
was I didn't, I didn't feel that I could protect, especially a black boy. Yeah. Um, if I were to, and, and we are boy producers in my family. And so there's a very good likelihood that I would have had a boy. And, um, and I, and I had this fear about having a child that I couldn't protect. Yeah. And it really, it, it kind of hit me, but the upside of it, you know, because I'm always a glass half full was that I have a million other children because I didn't have my own, right? Yeah. I get to do this work and I get yeah. to do it with that energy and enthusiasm because I don't have to come home and do that. But it also meant that it gave me freedom always yeah. to, to guide my own destiny, to be the, 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 the director of my destiny, because had I been married, had I had kids, you know, I would not have been able to quit on the spot like that. Right. Right. And, and so there, there has been, when I think about the larger narrative about, um, you know, particularly people of color um, and, and staying in dead end jobs and doing things, you know, I, I basically created a scenario for myself where there was not going to be a single reason why I had to do something that my heart and my, and my soul did, did, was not in alignment with those things. Wow. wow. Impressive. Number one, that just fills me with so much sadness, what you said, but I mm-hmm. applaud mm-hmm. you on the upside of it. I have friends who have said the same thing to me yeah. <laughs> actually yeah. Yeah. about yeah. the reality of the situation. And I yeah. have two boys myself and I, yeah. I just, I can't, I can't even, um, yeah. it fills me with so many different emotions, but I yeah. do, I really applaud you for for looking at the hat, the glass half full, because I would have been pissed off. Yeah. You know what I'm sure well, there's that too. Levels. I want, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, half full doesn't mean that the, like the bottom exactly. half is boiling sometimes, yeah, you know, exactly. Um, but it, I don't live there. I can't live there because I can't do this work and live in that place. No, no. Cause it doesn't move anybody forward. I would imagine. Yeah. Right. It just, yeah. it just causes you to be more angry in your own house. Yeah. Right. Um, so talk to me about this new chapter of your life. Cause I want to get into the book, but I want to get excited for you too, in this kind of new chapter where you're stepping it into your own brand. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's all very new. We're still even defining. So um, the things I was, what I basically have done is taken out the things that I love the most. So I did not, I love that I started a business. Yeah. I did not love running a business. Okay. Yep. And I don't know if that means I'd like, very visionary you know, of you, very visionary yeah. <laughs> entrepreneur of you. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and also the one thing that I made a promise to myself is that I would not end up in that kind of founder syndrome where yeah. I outstay my usefulness for the business. Yes. And so, you know, once I hired my seat, current COO, I mean, she is the, she's insane how good she is. And I now know that I can step away. I don't need to know the day-to-day workings because I have her. And then I hired a CIO who is insane around programming. And so, um, you know, so what I got to do now is they created the space for me to say, okay, what are the aspects that I love about what I have been doing for the last six years? And they really uh, uh, revolve around um, coaching. I love coaching. I love the one-on-one. I like small teams. Um, and I, I really wanted to do more around keynoting, nice. but like motivational keynoting, mm-hmm. like, so, you know, and, and once we got really clear that compassionate dialogue was the pillar, it, it wasn't just a tool, but it's a pillar of what your business is built on. Then I'm really talking about how people can have any conversation. You know, yeah. I'm focused on DE&I and belonging, but other people are focused on other things. And this tool is effective across the board. And so I can really help people, you know, really build those bridges that we were talking about and yeah. break down those boundaries, um, those, um, those, uh, the things that kind of get in our way, those barriers yeah. that get in the way of us being able to effectively communicate with each other. So um, that's kind of what the, the new brand is going to do is really work with um, individual small groups or, you know, larger keynoting and things like that. Yeah. But it's really about taking those pieces that I love about what I do, which is connecting with people and, you know, sharing my message and having difficult conversations. Like, I, I don't need you to agree with me. We just need to show up respectful and then let's work yeah. through it and let's, let's get messy together. Yeah. Get messy together. That is a yeah. perfect way to put it. And I mean, and we had talked about before we came on here too, like I work with business owners who are petrified, petrified mm-hmm. to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, be canceled on social media, yeah. but they won't even engage period, which in itself isn't right either. So talk to us more about compassionate dialogue and kind of your, your framework around all of this, which is brilliant by the way. Yeah. Well, thank you. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to back up a second and talk about this, like this idea of the cancel culture. Right. And I think that the, exactly what you talked about is what's wrong 
with cancel culture in general, right? Yeah. I think there is a place for it. Um, mm -hmm. And it's and the place is for extreme things. When you see extreme stuff happening, yeah. it's got to happen. But, you know, the fact that we've made it so hard for people to take a risk, you know, because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing or the negative impact that it might have on their business. We are, in fact, we, we are making sure that no one's talking about this. Yeah. What we yeah. need are people to talk about it. So what does it look like? And this is the compassionate dialogue piece to actually show grace, to, to give yourself and others grace to make a mistake, to have a human experience. Because you know what? It's like, thank God that there was no social media when I was growing yeah. up in the 70s and 80s. Honestly, honestly, no, I would no. have been canceled and forfeited. And, you know, like, yeah. I, I mean, I did all of the things, yeah. stuff. And, and we all did, but because it wasn't, you know, <laughs> It wasn't saved forever. There's there's no proof. There's only memories. There's stories that exist, but there's no proof. <laughs> legends. And, we'll call them legends. Okay. Friends, legends, okay? exactly. <laughs> so so you know so we basically have made it impossible for people who are interested to to lean in and do this for them to do it because of that fear. And that's what I'm really pushing against. So when I talk about like if we compassionate dialogue says okay you know, I recognize that I'm offended by what you just said, right. but I'm, my interruption is compassionate, which is let's get to the bottom. Let's get to the intent of what that meant. So maybe you didn't even intend to offend me. I can let you know the impact is that I was, and we can have that conversation and we can move forward and grow together. Right. Um, and then there's a th like, if your intention is to offend me, then we can have that conversation too, where, you know, I'm not going to let you off the hook for that. Right. 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 But, but, I, but as, there's always grace and space for people to make a mistake and for us to heal from it. It doesn't mean compassionate dialogue. And I, you know, I've heard a couple of people like kind of criticize it um, in that, well, you know, it, it, you know, not everyone deserves to be that not everyone deserves that you're, you know, compassionate to them. And I'm like, compassionate is not for the other person. It's no, it's for, for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's for you friends. Like, like it's like why you don't right. hang on to anger. That's right. Because it's not about that you forgive right. because it's about you. That's right. That's right. And so when we know that the rec the first R of recognize it for the protocol is that I'm actually, it's not about recognizing that what you said was stupid or that you are a jerk. Yeah. It's re actually Partly. recognizing about what it did to me yeah. and what, what then I need to do to move this emotion through my body. Yeah. Right. That's what you can control. Right. And it's the only thing you can control. Exactly. Right. right. And so when I then interrupt, I'm interrupting with the intent of healing the hurt inside of me and also with the intent of seeking to understand your purpose. Because if you do have a malicious purpose, then my repair is that I'm going to let you go. Like that's when I cancel you. But yeah. to cancel you before I even understand, yeah. you know, and then this this retro canceling is driving me crazy. Like someone did something 20 years ago. And, and it, yeah. And but if I uh, if I'm apologizing and like in what the person I was 20 years ago yeah. is nowhere near the person I am. Today. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. And so there's got to be, again, grace for that that 20 year younger person to say, you know what? I made a mistake. And with what I know now, I would never do that again. And I make amends with those people that I harmed in my path. That's what we should be looking at. But to go back and pull footage of, you know, people doing, you yeah. know, crappy things. 20, 30 years ago, who have changed, who have done things, you know, this was kind of the argument people just like slamming Kobe Bryant about his past. I mean, Kobe was 17, 18 years old. I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't okay, but, but he showed us 18. who he, right. <laughs> he showed us who he was as an adult. He, and he made amends and he did the things he needed to do to support and promote, you know, women and, and sports and this respectful, you know, peace. And, you know, I think God is good because you always get what you need. And, you know, he got girls, he got, you know, yeah, he got and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and, um, but, you know, people were just like, they, they never let him ever live that down. And it didn't matter what he did, what he did, what he was doing. Right. It didn't matter right. what he was doing. And, and I think that's kind of my, so compassionate dialogue, like those are the conversations we get to have about like, you know, so, cause if we, if we don't believe that, that even someone like him can make amends and do right, then why, why really do we have a juvenile um, uh, justice? I'm not juvenile, but a justice, a legal justice system, you know, uh, where we incarcerate people. And, and honestly, I mean, if we're honest, yeah. Our, our, our whole process around the justice system 
is the same where we don't actually forgive because if we actually forgave then people who got out of jail wouldn't have the right strip for them would be able to get jobs would be able to secure living would be encouraged and supported not to repeat their offense because they can't survive like we are setting them up for failure we are ensuring that they stay part of the system Right. Right. And as entrepreneurs, especially like we should be embracing, embracing that to some extent, because the, the ability to be an entrepreneur is the ability to kind of restart, yes. right? Fuck it yes. up and start it again. again. You know, and, right. I, and there's a difference. I feel like I see this a lot because I actually have some, some clients that are in AA, you uh-huh. know, and different things like that. And we, we talk through a lot of things around where people are holding different, like, you know, they still think of them as the person, you know, pre, pre the program. That's right. right. So they, and they can't do anything about it. Right. Right. So, but it hurts their business and it, and it continuously, it's almost like how long does somebody have to pay for something like in a cheating marriage or any any of those types of things. That's right. But I think to your point, we're just so quick. We're so quick that we don't even like, we don't even give a moment for an explanation, but there are, what do you say to people who said it doesn't warrant an explanation? They lost their ability to, to give one. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's, so again, this is the compassionate dialogue is that yeah. you, you really put the responsibility on that person to, you know, you, if you're asking the right questions and you're interrupt, the, the onus becomes that of the person to, to say why they're not going to forgive, why they're not going to. And so it takes us out of this defense mode because yeah. usually we are always defending. We're trying to defend our perspective, but yes. if I'm not worried about defending my perspective and I'm truly seeking to understand what your perspective is, then I'm asking you a lot of questions. And yeah. if you can't answer them, that's part of the answer. Like, you don't even know why you're mad. You don't know why you can't forgive. Like, what is it triggering in you that someone who made a mistake 30 years ago can't ever, you know, rectify that, can't ever heal from that, can't ever, you know. And so, um, and, and, and again, you know, the one thing I will say about compassionate dialogue to also be clear is that repair, I always say that repair is sometimes divorce. So repair doesn't mean that it's all, you know, warm and fuzzy and we're all, you know, all good could be that we are no longer um, connecting with each other, that we have severed the relationship, whether it's a friendship or romantic or whatever, or business that I've, you know, for me, my repair was leaving my job. Like I knew that I had to do that. And so as long as we understand that it's that this whole fairy tale that we've been, you know, kind of weaned on, you know, growing up, whether, you know, the, the, the the Protestant work ethic of work hard and get, you know, like there's always disappointment. There's always those things. And sometimes the repair is that we just got to let it go. Sometimes the repair is that we move on. It's not that we're going to necessarily, you know, be friends at the end of it, but what we're going to, what we're going to promise to do is that we're going to get through it in a way that I can feel good and my integrity about who I am and how I've chosen to communicate with you. Yeah. But I think you hit the nail on the head about who you are right? Like it's about, it's about being able to understand where you sit, where you stand in your own self and being confident enough in that. And I, and my concern falls in the fact that people aren't, Yes, you know, and I think that like, to your point, you know, a lot of people are worried about that instant cancel or that instant thing, but it's also misplaced anger. Yeah. Right. There's so much of that that has nothing to do with the situation at hand and that the people may not be as confident in themselves to be able to stand in the ring and have a conversation like that. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. And if and and they they will never be confident if that is how we react or respond every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's like a child. Yeah. a child, if you keep yelling at them every single time they do yeah. something wrong, that's just going to, I mean, I'm going to bring my girl Brene Brown into this and say, yeah. like, it's just going to divulge into shame yeah. and then we're never going to get anywhere right. with it. Right. Right. And that anger, you know, people hold on to their anger because it, it really is a defense mechanism Yes, and, yeah. and the anger keeps us from love. I mean, there's only two emotions, right. And, and if you're, um, if you know, it's fear or love. And so when we're sitting in anger, it's really more, it's yeah. about fear. Yeah. 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 And I mean, and we're wired fear, the unknown fear of outside of our group fear of, you know, X amount of things. Right. But I think to, to what you alluded to before is that we, as a society, and we talk about that a lot here. And I talk about it too, in my business is that we voted kind of the, the bad emotions off the Island, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're not allowed to feel, we're not allowed to admit fear. We're not allowed to admit anger. We're Mm -hmm. supposed to be happy, go lucky with everything. But when someone pisses us off, if we could admit (laughs) that that triggered me, like you just said, like, then maybe we'd move forward with it. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that is, it's bringing that emotion to consciousness. Yes. Right. Yes. Because it's there. It, the anger is there, but if we don't address the anger, then it just kind of festers. Right. Right. And so if I'm, if I'm talking to my entrepreneurs out there, right. Who are mm -hmm. trying to bring this sort of a thing into the workplace internally and externally, you know, what would you say beyond like kind of what you've said so far? Yeah, no, I, you know, I think it's definitely worthwhile. If you can get an organization and we have many, many models that use this protocol, your efficiency is increased. Like people are having those difficult conversations. And it also, what it basically does is it helps you put a lens on um, that begins to have you look at things differently and you, you stop being conflict avoidant because, you know, the reason why things don't get done is because we're afraid of yes. conflict. And so yes. we do a lot of backward, you know, back end deals, we, you know, things on the yep. slide, you know, like, let's just, let's just kind of circumvent this person like the, here the meeting after the meeting. Those That's right. Things, right. And, but yep. those are the things that, that, that build resentment. They, yep. you know, they build distrust And so, you know, what would it really be like to just sit there and know, okay, this is going to be a hard conversation, but we're going to have it. And we're committed to having it to the end, you know? And, um, and so, you know, this work I think is powerful because it actually helps create healthier um, organizations that can then look at their climate and culture and, and really begin to shift what those things feel like so that they're not so toxic so that, so people can actually feel like, you know what, my voice is valued. Yeah. I, I yeah. belong here. Yeah. And I mean, and the thing is too, is like you said, like there has to be in order to have those conversations, like, you know, there has to be some sense of security, I would think, right? right. Because you're not just going to open up your, your wounds and be mm -hmm. vulnerable without there being an appropriate container to be vulnerable in. So right. if you're going to sit down with employees, but you haven't led, laid any of the groundwork for any of right. this. And then I've seen people get mad that their employees don't just like open up and have right. a conversation, right? So any of those kind of steps to lay that groundwork that you would recommend? Yeah, one, you have to do your own work, right? It's it's yes. like, <laughs> you, you can't, you know, and we've, I think that's one, one of the uh, biggest uh, kind of uh, shortcomings of businesses that implement new initiatives and things is that they actually don't really know what they're doing themselves. You know, they bring in a new thing and we're gonna do this together, but you need to do your own work. And part of compassionate dialogue is us being able to uh, release our attachment to outcome, yep. release yep. our attachment to, like, it's not personal. You, can, you could be yelling and screaming at me and it still isn't truly about me in most cases, it's about you, right? Yep. And, and yep. that's the piece of like, when you open those floodgates, people are gonna, it means that like, I've literally in my organization, I've had people say things, you know, because it's there and we always say like, let's try not to weaponize the protocol because yeah. you, can, you can weaponize it and say, well, I'm gonna, you know, RIR you. And, um, but if there's no compassion, it's just a weapon, it's just a weapon. Yeah. And you're right? othering, you're othering at that point in time with right. that stuff too. Yeah. But you, but you do have to, like, I've literally had, you know, employees, they let me know, like if I've done something or said something that wasn't congruent with my message, you know, there is space for them to call me on it and 100% no retaliation because I'm comfortable in hearing it because I can, I can now sift out because I've, I've, I realize that the protocol works. I can sift out what's mine and what's not mine yes. and what's mine. I own. Yep. And I, I, again, if I need to make amends, if I need to change something, I'm going to do it, but what's not mine, I get to come back and talk about, okay, I hear this and this piece, let's talk about where this is coming from because I did this thing and you've made it this thing. So yep. what, what is that about? So we have that opportunity to have that dialogue. Um, so companies who want to do this, it's really, you know, people start it, practice it. And, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's a journey. It's not a destination. Exactly. So yeah. there are times I, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years using this protocol and I use it pretty consistently, but there are moments. And I say this in my book, like I don't ever use it with my sister. I'm a twin. We yell and, and argue. <laughs> my husband leaves the room because yeah. he's like, Oh my God, they're at it again. Like, yeah. you know, there, there's going to be people in times that it, it, the protocol just isn't going to show up, but eventually it'll come back around. And so it's not about, guilt or shame or blame, or I didn't do it. It's about practice. If you want to be good at anything, it requires practice. If you want to be good at playing a sport, speaking a language, 
you know, being an entrepreneur, it's practice. You don't, you know, you don't just say one day I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to make millions and millions of dollars. Those people who did that, good for them. But the most of us don't, that isn't how we start. And we got to be willing to, to take risk. Yeah. And again, going back to that, there has to be a container in which you feel secure enough to practice. Yes. So, but also to take it back a notch too, where you said it's not personal. You see that a lot too, right? Where people are like, how can it not be personal? Like, how can it be like, you know, it was race, it was this, it was that. Like, how is it not personal? So Mm -hmm. can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, because they don't know you. The the only way it can be personal is if they know you. So my sister, it's personal because she knows me, right? And we get to deal with that. But in general, especially when strangers like, and I'm sure you've experienced this, you know, having a podcast and doing the work that you do, you know, every now, every now and then you get a troll on your, on your account to just, you know, they take something completely out of context and like, they don't even know me. And so I, I get to decide each time if I, if I want to engage or not. And I would say that I'm getting tired of just like the, I figure I want to engage with the person who genuinely wants to have a conversation. And when I put it out there that way, I, it's like crickets. There's no response. And so what I started to realize is most of these people are, you know, it's the analogy. And I don't know if you've, maybe I'm just the first one coming to this and maybe everyone (laughs) knew this, but, you know, you know, we always talk about internet trolls, right? And I always thought troll, T-R-O-L-L, like a troll, like a little, you know, troll. (laughs) No, well, it could be, but the, the, what, um, what I have learned since is it's trowling, like when you fish, Ah! Yeah, and you you just drag the line to see what's gonna bite. Well, uh, news to me too. Apparently, right. we're both in the same boat. Well, and maybe it's not, but it, way more sense. But like, it made a lot of sense. It's like you're 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 trawling for you're trawling for a bite. So when they make these comments, you know, if you don't bite, they disappear most of the time. But if you yeah. do bite, you've you've now you've now they've got you like, and, and you're the fish that just caught their bait, you know, and now they're gonna, they're gonna keep at you until they catch you. So, um, it was just an interesting thing, but actually that switch for me was like, oh, well then I don't need to engage with most of these because most of these, most of these people, if they truly want to engage with me would find another way to do it. Right. 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 They're not going to sit there. It's not about you. Right. that the comments and stuff. And I, and I talked to employees, employees, um, employers rather and clients and stuff like that about that too, because, you know, some of these small businesses are terrified yeah. of somebody coming at them in the comments. Right. And yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of like, go straight to the business until you start like commenting and throwing names around and everything else. But, you know, at the same time, that does make a lot more sense. I don't know yeah. how I didn't know that either. Yeah. But- well, I don't like know. language is so there's so many words that we use that if we actually stopped and thought about them we probably wouldn't use them anymore you know Agreed. They, Agreed. the meaning becomes true so but yeah. uh yeah, yeah. But I think I, lo- I love what you're saying around you know it isn't it isn't personal and I actually I talk to clients a lot about like like that's not your shit to own yeah like that's that person's like thing what can you control what's your shit mm-hmm. to own but you have yeah. to to your earlier point have done some of the work you can't yes. just wake up tomorrow and decide oh that's not mine to own yeah. Too bad folks. Yep. Like yep. Then nobody would own anything. Right. <laughs> right. 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 And, and it is, and it, it really is, you know, and it's, and being willing to own what is yours because exactly. sometimes that's painful. Yep. I mean, there's plenty of times where it was me mm-hmm. and I deserved whatever I got and, you know, being able to come back and make amends and, and do it in a way that was authentic, like, like truly um, make amends for it. And, and through my behavior, um, show them that I meant it, that I'm serious behavior. about it. Right. Thank um, you for that yeah. behavior. And it is, it's behavior because, yeah. you know, people can talk and we see a lot, we see a lot of talking happening, but uh, it's really about your actions and your actions are what people are really listening to. Yes, they are. Um, yeah. And how you make them feel right. Yeah. Like that, yes. right. About like, they're not interested in the other stuff. They're interested in how you make them feel. That's right. Yes. And you know, like, um, the way that I look at it is if you're an asshole, to be blunt, if you're an asshole, regardless of where you come from, what your background is, if you're a horrible person, you're a horrible right. person. Like that's right. if you make me feel horrible. Like that's a distinction. Like that has nothing to do with anything else. But on the flip side, like that's just another reason to connect us all as humans too around that same thing. I don't know if I didn't make right. it just made sense. Right. But <laughs> and yet. Yeah, yeah, no, it absolutely made sense. And I will, I will just take that another step is that it is when it's about how, how you make, you know, you make me feel, I also get to own that, that, like that, that piece, you can only do to me what I allow you to do to me. 
And that's crucial. Like you can still be an asshole, but, and if, but if I acknowledge you're an asshole to, to continually allow you to hurt me is on me. Yeah. Right. Like yep. you can't do to me what I don't allow you to do to me once I figure it out. So I, I do, I want to acknowledge that there yes, is a please. space of us figuring it out because, you know, someone you, I mean, and how many times have we had someone that we thought were, you know, they're on our side and there, but there's that little kind of passive aggressive insidious kind of things that happen. It takes you a minute, but the minute you figure out and you ascertain their true intent at that point, we have the control to then like, I'm not going to let you hurt me anymore. Right. Um, and, and that, and it's active process. It's not something like I just say it and it's done. Exactly. It's an active process. Yeah. And people get, people get more comfortable with the discomfort and they yes. prefer to stay there. Right. Sometimes then there's like the, the adage about the dog sitting on the nail is more comfortable sitting on the nail than getting off the nail. Yeah. Um, in those situations. Yeah. So, but I think in terms of, you know, business as well, I think you have to have kind of that level of confidence as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. in yourself, in your yes. business and know yes. where your level of integrity sits yes. and yes. whether or not it can be quaked and then actively own whatever the fuck you mess up on. That's right. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that integrity piece is, is crucial yeah. um, in my mind. It's like, you know, every decision I make is, is from my heart it, and it really is. I mean, and maybe even to a, <laughs> <laughs> to a fault as my CEO will tell you some yeah. things like I'm like I we need to give this away you know and she's like uh we can charge for this and I'm like but I made a but, commitment you know but yeah. you know so yeah but 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 you know I I need to at the end of the day I need to go to sleep every night and know that I the decisions I've made around my business and around um, my clients is really from a place of integrity. And if I, if there's ever a day that I can't go to sleep and know that that's true, then I need to do something else. Right. And I think integrity, meaning like behind closed doors, in front of closed doors, mm-hmm. consistently mm-hmm. across the board. Right. Because I think that's where people get into trouble and where yeah. they get caught in shit, like yeah. publicly. Because that's right. You're that's not right. living the same value set that's that right. you're living out loud. You're living that's different right. behind closed doors or vice versa. That's so, right. you know, usually the first one on that. Um, yeah. But in terms of kind of helping our entrepreneurs out, you know, is there, are there any kind of last little tidbits that you would tell people, you know, that are entering into these conversations or trying to navigate the waters? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, the first one is take that first step. Like that first step is always the hardest, you know, be willing to be vulnerable and, and know that actually being vulnerable is your strength that it's not a weakness. I think that we have conditioned, um, you know, our society to think that, you know, tears or vulnerability are, is a weakness. And um, I think that that's why we can't connect with each other because we each have this kind of facade, this mask up that, that we think is protecting us, but actually what it's doing is it's keeping us separate from each other. So I'm going to show up 100% me. I'm going to show up 100% vulnerable. I was doing a keynote, um, and one of the one of the teachers uh, was a victim of the Las Vegas shooting, at, and I and I found out right before I got on stage. They had announced it, and they did a moment of silence and acknowledged that the school that um, where she where she worked um, was not going to be um, present that day. And I couldn't I couldn't stop crying. And yeah. so they called me on stage, and I just like I need a moment to just yeah. I need to grieve in this moment, because I can't do this talk that I'm going to do for you for the next two hours with all this, this emotion in my heart. So, you know, we just, and so everyone, I mean, literally it's, you know, 150 people were all crying, but it was like that moment of release. And for me, I I feel like that's my power. That's my superpower anyway, is that I feel like by being vulnerable and allowing, allowing space for other people to show up vulnerable, because you can't, who, someone's got to take the first step. Yeah. And everyone's always waiting for somebody to take the first step. That's right. I find, you probably find this too, when you give talks, like there's always the person that comes up after that's like, I thought that was just me thinking that yes. stuff, or I thought it was me. Right. And right. thank you for being the one to model it. So then I didn't feel like I was a weirdo right. or alone in whatever the emotion right. was. And yeah. it gave me permission then, you know, cause that's the floodgates, right? No one yeah, asks a exactly. question, but then the first person asked and then yep. everyone follows. And so that that's the advice is like, be willing to be the first, you know, be willing to be vulnerable and recognize that that vulnerability doesn't make you a sucker or whatever the words that you know people are using yep. today but that actually it, it puts you in your integrity it puts you in your strength and it, and it really puts us 
um, in a place that I think we were meant to be, you know, living in a community with people in a society where we have to engage and where we're really interdependent, where we're, we're really dependent on each other for yeah. our survival. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's goes back longer than we, than we've yeah. been here. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just that need for community and that need for approval of the tribe and all of that good stuff. Like it's, it's just, it's so true, but I think we're all, everyone's so scared. Yeah. Too. I mean, I know like I get scared to ask any, I mean, I was scared coming on this podcast, no. one smart lady friend, <laughs> you know? So, you know, I get scared to ask the questions and I know yeah. I, I talk to other friends about that too. And they're like, I'm, I'm nervous to ask it yeah. because of, especially if you're an owner, liability well, and, blah, 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 and all yeah. this other stuff. Right. But well, that other, so the other piece to that would be then if that's really where your fear is, it's like, you know, one of the things that I talk about is contact theory, that the way that we get over our fear is through contact. Like yeah, I, I may be afraid of something. It's like, I'm afraid of the water. So you go to the water and every day you get over it, but it's also exactly. the same with people. Yeah. And so if you are in that place, as you just described, where you're just afraid and you don't know how to start, find that safe zone, you know, start the conversation with people, you know, start in that comfort zone where you're, yep. where you know, for sure that there's safety, you know, right. and then the more you practice within that space, the easier it is to bring other people in. And I think that we would be surprised at how many people are willing to actually have this conversation if it's authentic you know don't don't come to me and say well you're black what's your opinion on the state of you know that like that but if you really want to talk to me as yeah. a person and cool. and and, yeah. and and we we've had some contact and, and it's like ask permission like hey you know i'm really curious um is it okay if i talk if would you be willing to have this conversation with me you would be surprised how many say yes because they want to have this conversation yeah yeah, you know? but, but to your point, like, don't, you're not like the token person. That's right. Right. Like, I think that's what I get sometimes too, is like the token woman. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. I'm like, yes, well, I'm a little bit more than that, but yes. I can't speak for every single one on the planet. Yeah. But, you know, I think, you know, to your point, it's, and it's getting to that human level where we can all connect. Yes. As well, absolutely. regardless of that's right. what it is. And I don't want to sound yeah. too high in the sky, but I think it's, I think it's. Well, no, well, it's a, we got to have a goal, right? Yeah. Um, there, one strategy that I use to keep me in my, dis, in, in a place of discomfort and it's a healthy discomfort, right? Yeah, good. Is, um, and it was taught to me by a coach. He said, um, he called it uh, uh, the, the month of no. And the goal is to collect as many no's as an entrepreneur as you can. Yep. And I, I was like, really? He goes, yes. Yeah. So, you know, ask for the most, you know, audacious requests that you can think of and ask for it. And, um, and so you have to, and your goal is no. And so that's one, it gets you, it gets you used to hearing no, because we hear no. And again, we take that like, personally, yeah, like, like, oh, they, they rejected reaction. me. Yeah, yeah. They, it's, it's, it's not good enough. So one, it kind of, um, begins to override that training that we had about hearing no, but two, what my biggest lesson was in my month of collecting no's, I could not collect a single one. And so what that meant and what the ultimate lesson was, was that we were not asking enough. So if I could offer anything to an entrepreneur is like ask for what you want and ask for it because we might be surprised that there is someone there who wants to make it happen for you. Yeah, yeah. that's right? interesting. Cause you hear, the month of, you hear the month of no in regards to sales. Okay. Right. Like that's, that's, oh, I've thing. never heard like, that. Yeah. Okay. Just so, you know, like that's the thing in sales, but I mean, uh -huh. imagine if we did the month of no across different aspects of our lives, like you're yeah. saying, like, yeah, I want to hear how many people don't want to talk to me about X, Y, and Z, right. you know, and then what if, but what if somebody does like, that's a really yes. great way to flip it on its head. And then, yes. you know, your world can shift. Yes. Just from that one conversation. Absolutely. And, and just by in seeking that. And so, you know, I'm not, I've never been in the retail space. And so I didn't know about that, yeah. but, but it makes sense. And I tell you as an entrepreneur, like that is something, and I've taught it to a couple of my friends and it's already changing their lives. Yeah. And what they're finding out is that we are thinking too small, yeah. that there is that, 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 that the people actually, when you have uh, a mission that people can get behind when your integrity is there, when you're that person, there are people who want to help you manifest those ideas. And we don't give them an opportunity because we're afraid we don't want to feel like, and I know for me, growing up black and poor, I felt like I was representing, representing, represent, oh my God, <laughs> representing like all black people. And so like, I would be, I didn't want someone to ever think that, oh, I was this, you know, um, 
or greedy or yeah. you know not a good whatever right. those yeah yeah those whatever those yeah. things were um that that fed into the stereotype about what it meant to be you know this and especially starting a business and needing to get seed money right. you know and right. being afraid to ask people because i didn't want them to think that it was a bad investment right that right. that, that right. somehow investing in me would be a bad and so that was all my personal work that i had to do yeah. Um, and I wish somebody would have told me about that month of no then because I would have asked a whole lot more people, but right. Yeah. Cause yeah. I think again, like we, you're exactly right. Like the nervous system reaction that yeah. most of us have when we hear a no is such a yeah. personal rejection. And it's, I wish it was as easy as like, don't take it personal. Yeah. Right. Because like, you can't, like, I'm not a big, I'm a big proponent of like, you can't take the personal out of business when there's people yeah. involved. Right? Right. 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 But you know, to your point, if you, the more you do it, you know, the more you're scared of it, you got to do it. Yeah. Become less yeah. scared of it and more comfortable in the discomfort, which is yeah. brilliant. And I guess in the way that you've just said it, the, the maybe a better way to describe it is when I say don't take it personally, it's like don't let the let don't let that stop you and and figure out what's yours and all that. Because I think yeah. a lot of especially for women, yep, and then add people of color and women on top of that. I think that we end up claiming a lot of stuff that yeah. doesn't belong to us. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't, I mean it's I think that's the thing is nine times out of 10, like you said, it's not ours. It has nothing yeah. to do with us. The guy who mm -hmm. cuts you off in traffic, the yeah. person who's rude to you behind the cash register that's right. and nothing to do with you. Yeah. Like that has to do with them having a shitty day unless that's you right. are being a jerk. Like, that's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. a different conversation that we can And have then you know, that. because you've known that you were part of it, right? That, yeah, you know. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, and on that note, <laughs> well, this has been a fantastic conversation. So can you tell people, you know, where they can find out more about you because they should be buying the book, they should be doing all the things. Oh, great. Yes. So my website is drdrnancydome.com. And there's all information, all my, um, my Twitter, my Instagram, all those places are listed down there. That's the first place to take a look at what I'm doing. And then of course the book is available on Amazon. It's also available at Barnes and Noble. If you know, you don't do Amazon, um, uh, book baby, um, it's kind of all over the place and, yeah. um, and we're trying to get it into some more local, um, bookstores as well. So, Beautiful. uh, you know, you, there's a lot of avenues to purchase it, but I think, you know, the whole purpose of the book was to be approachable and to help us start this conversation. It's not, it's not the solution, but it is a process that I think that if you do it, it, it can actually, um, go a long way in moving you forward in this, in these conversations. And as you said, like take the first steps, right? Yeah. Like, that's There needs to be someone to tell you how to. Right? Yeah. So yes. why not you friend? Well, yes. thank you so much for being here. This, this conversation was, was pretty amazing for me. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it myself. At first, I wasn't even going to have kind of an after the segment, little segment here, because I feel like we just covered so much stuff and there's, there's some lot, a lot of processing that I have to do. I have to go back and listen to this again and just kind of wrap my head around some of the things she said and, and do it alongside diving into her book, which again is called Let's Talk About Race and Other Hard Things. And it provides a framework, framework for having conversations that build bridges, strengthen relationships, and set clear boundaries. And she's got some excellent stuff in there. But, you know, I liked, I liked what she had to say around, you know, we can't make people feel complete shame every time they voice the wrong opinion. And again, some people are assholes. Some people have misplaced anger. There's lots of stuff going on there, but I don't know that, I don't have all the answers, not even like close to any, all of the answers, but I just do know that if we want to move forward, we need all of us to move forward together. And that is going to re require compassion, grace, and it's going to be hard as hell, but I have faith that we can do it. On next week's episode, I am welcoming Marianne Moore, who this woman is absolutely incredible. She actually founded a social justice consultancy called the Justice Studio, and she has worked extensively in the UK and in over 30 countries on criminal, child, and gender justice issues. Now, this is some hard and deep work that she's doing, and some organizations that she's partnering with are, you know, they're intense. And she's going to talk to us about how to lead with compassion, how to walk through and actually run a business and maintain your employees around things like burnout and really tough issues. So you don't want to miss this episode. And if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review. And you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.